Welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Show, designed to guide you through building and growing your empire. Created for those who want to use real estate to build generational wealth. Join your host, Max Boyko, as he interviews some of the most successful real estate investors on the planet. They will guide you through the different aspects of real estate investing and succeeding in your journey. On the show, Max will be interviewing top real estate insiders. Max is a successful real estate investor who's purchased and sold properties totaling in the hundreds of millions. Now, he's bringing all of his experience to you. Grow Your Wealth Show brings you new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show is brought to you by Optimus Capital, the leader in funding real estate investors nationwide. Let me ask you, would you like to succeed in real estate beyond where you are now? Do you have questions and don't know where to start? Would you like to learn from a veteran investor? then you're in the right place. This podcast is designed for you. Now, here's your host, Max Boyko. Welcome everyone to the Grow Your Wealth Show. This is your host, Max Boyko. And today we have a very special episode for you. We're gonna be talking about how to utilize leverage to grow your portfolio. Uh, we're gonna go over some statistics and I have a very special guest with us today, Andrew Shanti. Andrew, you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Max, thank you so much for having me on here. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the branch manager here for Optimus Capital here out of the state of Florida. I've got a pretty prolific background in the real estate investment space and kind of uh, across the financial markets, if you will. Started back in 2005 as a residential mortgage broker coming out of school. And then in uh, 2007, I made the mistake of starting a commercial finance company, which uh, led right into the wonderful year of 2008, which I'm sure all real estate investors remember quite fondly. Uh, from that standpoint, ended up on the commercial real estate side of things, learned uh, retail leasing, which I, I did for you know four to five years, represented some of the top people in the country as far as tenants, landlords, and taught myself investment sales while in that structure. And then I, I ended up working for an off-market commercial real estate company and alternative investment advisory company as an executive director, basically structuring all the strategy uh, deal management, investment opportunities, loans, and re really finding the value in off-market commercial real estate or in you know various strategies around real estate and kind of transitioned back over into the hard money spaces. Things got kind of crazy and hectic in that market and just glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, it's uh, definitely great, great to have you on the show and part of Optimus Capital. You, met, you mentioned kind of transitioning from commercial to residential. Can you tell us a little bit about just kind of what that transition was like and what, what really, what made you want to go back into residential? So for me, uh, when, I, when I look at residential, I, I got to clarify. So like residential, specifically working with investors, because I've, I've always really liked working with the investor mindset of people that operate from a business sense rather than an emotional sense. So one of the really cool things about a real estate transaction is the old saying that you win at the beginning of a real estate deal. And there's, there's just so much truth in that, right? Because if you've done proper analysis and you find a good opportunity, it doesn't matter how you break it down, it's a good opportunity. So there, there's going to be money in it so long as you manage your expectations, so long as you manage your cost. And so it's this, this totally different mindset of dealing with people that's critical, I think, when you're when you're operating from, you know, just, just mastering your destiny, right? So just part of that from going from the, the commercial back to the residential was just the opportunity that's taking place right now. The the last year, you know, has been a banner year for mortgage brokers on the on the residential side. 
And as interest rates have stayed historically low, that's kind of most of the people I think out there, a lot of them have kind of refinanced their loans. And now it's just kind of a boom time for the investors to come in and, and take advantage of kind of where things are going and, and what's happening right now to find some great deals. Uh, Max, you know very well, you know, interest rates on this side have definitely come down. And so for a lot of these guys that have been in the game for, for quite a minute, the, just the, the programs and the pricing, the terms are just phenomenal in this space right now for the opportunity. You agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And interest rates are at all time low. I mean, I think both on the hard money side as well as on the you know conventional side. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you. Kind of the investor mindset, it's, it's just a whole different category of people to work with. And personally, that's always been, you know, my entire career, I've always, I've never worked consumer markets. It's always been on the investment side. And, you know, one of, one of the big things that, you know, I've learned from my experience and just working with other clients and, you know, pretty significant investors around the country that have built significant portfolios is, you know, you make your money when you buy the property, not when you sell it. You know, when you sell it, if you're making money when you sell it, you could get lucky with it. Uh, with the market going up or with, you know, I mean, in the last year, prices are up 20% or more, depending on which part of the country you're in. So, you know, every, every investor, I guess, maybe got lucky in that aspect. But the ones that bought at tremendous or a great discounted prices, those are the, really the ones that are winning. I had, a, I had a really good conversation with a investor yesterday. A guy was a home investor franchisee for a number of years and, and left their model because he realized he's paying them for deals that he was finding and he was finding most of the deals. And I asked him about his leverage. Uh, you know, I let him know that we could, you know, hey, we'll, we'll go up to 75% cash out on your assets. So we'll do, you know, 80% purchase. And his response was wise, which tells me that he's been doing it a long time. He said, I'm never going up to 75% cash out or 80%. He said, you know, my deals are all financed at 50 to 65% max. And I said, why is that? If you don't mind me asking. And is, uh, again, here, here's the wisdom. He said, because I don't trust the market right now. He said, if I'm, if I'm leveraged at 75 or 80% a year from now, I can be underwater. But if I'm at 50 to 65%, he said, I'm always going to be okay. And that, that's someone who's been through the hard times and know what he's talking about and, and is operating cautiously, given where we are right now and uh, you know, the, this point of the year and kind of where the, the economy is at. I can see that. Uh, I've had similar conversations and my recommendation, you know, I always ask when I'm doing my initial interview with an investor, I always ask them, how aggressive do you want to be? And, you know, everyone has different opinions. Some people want to build a significant portfolio as quickly as possible. And they're very bullish on where the market is heading. You know, me personally, I'm very bullish right now also, and you know, pretty much willing to take maximum leverage. But the ones that are more conservative, you know, I think it also depends on what part of their career they're in, right? So if you're an investor that you're just starting out and you're young and you can take a hit, you know, I mean, I think both of us took a hit in 2006, 2007, you know, that was when we were just starting, you know, we were bullish then. And I think we've learned our lesson, but, you know, at, at a certain point to build up a portfolio, you have to be a little bit more aggressive. You have to take that higher leverage so that you can accumulate assets and, you know, kind of hope for appreciation. But people that are kind of, you know, in the middle or towards the end of their career, I just think you, you need to start stepping down a notch. Like basically, you know, maybe we could say every 10 years of your career, you know, step down five to 10% leverage uh, is kind of the philosophy that I've come to learn. And you know, right now, personally, you know, I'm kind of trying to be in that 65 to 70% leverage range on any long-term rentals. Uh, but, you know, I have investors that, you know, they're trying to maximize the leverage and pull out what they can 
so that they can go buy more properties. And that's something we'll, we'll head into a little bit later in the program. But I, I think it really just depends on what part of your career you're in. If you can afford to take a hit and restart, then you know maximum leverage is the way to go. If you want to be more conservative and focus more on preserving your assets that you already have, then absolutely. Like I always recommend kind of that 60, 65% leverage. You know, you mentioned, you know, your seasoned investor, you know, he, he was more of a 50, 55% guy. And I think that's extremely safe. The advantage of that is you're just going to get the rock bottom interest rates as well, because, you know, usually at 60%, that's where you really get the lowest tier rates. I mean, our rental rates are what, like 3.875 start rate, but you have right. to have perfect credit and really be in that, you know, 55, 60% loan of value range. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It depends on on where you are. If you're a young investor just coming into the market at the first time, uh, you want to be as aggressive as possible. Like when I when I came into this space working for Optimus Capital, you know I was shocked that we had that ninety percent of purchase, hundred percent of rehab program, even for first time investors, no income, no assets. Uh, that's significant. That didn't exist before, and the fact that that's on the table right now for just investors to come in with no experience buy a property with just 10% down plus the closing costs and having us fund 90% of the purchase and 100% of the rehab costs, that, that's an open door for real estate agents, for anyone that has you know kind of the, the eye on a deal, come in just significantly and really come into this industry and, and do well for themselves, do real well for themselves. So there, there are limitations, right? Like we'll do 90%, but you know we're going to look to make sure that we're within 70% of the after repair value. Right. So we're still looking at it as a 70% loan from that aspect. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of realtors, you know, that are finding these off-market deals or they're talking to, you know, they're on a listing appointment and the seller's like, hey, I just want to sell this as quickly as possible. I don't want to list it. Do you have any pocket buyers? And a lot of times this gives the opportunity for a realtor to become an investor. And a lot, a lot of our clients. I mean, when I tell realtors about our program, like their mouth drops, basically they can take a commission from one deal, buy a property, fix it up, refinance it into a long-term rental, pull out all their equity and all the money that they put into it, and then go buy more. And it really, I think, establishes kind of the topic of our show is, you know, how, how do you utilize leverage to grow your portfolio by you taking advantage of the uh, loan products that are currently available and being able to create a significant amount of cash flow, kind of that, you know, hopefully lasts a long term. Absolutely. And, you know, Max, on that same topic right there, one of the things that's kind of really excited me is the, the short-term rental market and kind of what's been happening in that space and the programs and tools that have become available for those kind of investors. So I think probably everyone around the U.S. is familiar with Airbnb and some of the other rental sites like uh, VRBO, where instead of staying in some rundown hotel, now you're staying in someone's beachfront condo or you're staying in someone's entire house for the same price or less than you'd be staying in a hotel. And so you've got a full kitchen, full room, multiple rooms. So you, you lose out on some of the amenities. Uh, I know that kind of financing didn't really exist. And as the, the market and the technology has really just come to the forefront of, of the information, right? Having the information on how well those markets perform, there's just so much opportunity there for investors to come in and, and get those cash flow properties. Everyone's done real well if they can get a good deal on your fix and flip. But from what I'm seeing in the market, it's getting harder and harder to find some of those really good transactions on a fix and flip deal. But if you're buying in the right right place, you can really knock the, out of the park on like a short-term rental, just buying a property, 
making it look nice inside and turning it to a, a, a sophisticated property manager that can really maximize your money. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's just recently we had our investor partners uh, actually agree to utilize short-term rental income to qualify for a rental loan, <laughs> which we never thought that that would actually come to fruition, but it has. And it looks like the institutions and you know, really the secondary markets that purchase these loans and securitize them are actually embracing the fact that short-term rentals are here to stay. Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. I was on the phone call with uh, an investor a few days ago. They had a property that they had acquired fixed and fixed to rent in Colorado, just south of Denver. Really, really nice property. Property values out in Denver are through the roof or in Colorado general are really high. They paid about, I think, $380 for the property, did about $50,000 in rehab. After repair value on the transaction is $545,000. And they, they want to do a cash out refi. But when I looked at the, you know, to turn it into just a long-term rental, but when I looked at the market, the rental price of that property compared to the value was a little skewed. And so what I mean by that is based on what I saw online, they were only going to be able to get, you know, $2,600 a month on a $545,000 property, which I, I'm in Florida. You don't, you don't find rents like that. I mean, rent, rents are just through the roof down here. And so I, I just kind of ran through qualifying her transaction. And based on just a long-term rental, she wasn't going to qualify, you know, just as a long-term rental because the, her debt service was barely going to coverage, you know, what was coming in off of her, her rental payments on it. So I did something interesting. I, I looked at the, the short-term rental market for her and I said, hey, what, if, what are these properties getting out there in, in uh, you know, the, the Denver market for just a short-term rental? And what I found just blew my mind. On the conservative side, she was going to be looking at $300 a night realistically probably closer to 350 to 375 and based on some of the conversations that I've had with you know some of the sophisticated property managers out there that manage hundreds of properties they can get their occupancy on on some of these properties up to 80%. 80% is huge. So without the actual owner of the property having to manage it, having to do any of the repairs, do any of the listings and sure they give up 10-15% of their earnings and what I found just kind of looking at that just really conservatively, I said okay, if she gets $300 a night, just 50, 50% of the month, she's, she's looking at $3,500 a month after paying the management in her pocket compared to a long-term rental loan. She's at like $6,500 a month just off that one property that she already fixed and rehabbed and was thinking of putting a long-term rental in place. I mean, what a difference. Just what a huge difference in that model right there. Yeah. And I mean, Colorado, you don't really even expect that to be a hot market for you know, short-term rentals, you know, usually you think like, oh, Florida, like, you know, somewhere on the beach or Hawaii or California, you know, beachfront. But yeah, it seems like these short-term rentals, even in suburbs that are, you know, there's no amenities, there's nothing nearby, but a lot of people are, you know, traveling to meet, to see family, they're traveling for various purposes. So it's not necessarily the short-term rental market is becoming not only for uh, vacations, but also just for business travel, for traveling nurses. Actually, I have a story on the traveling nurses. So I have a client, he's bought probably about 10 properties now. And his market is he stages these, he used to list them on Airbnb with a you know minimum of a 30 day stay. So you kind of get around the whole, you know, requirements to be considered a short term rental even because once you're 30 days, it's, you know, it's be semi semi long term. Uh, but what he rents out is th there's a huge market for traveling nurses to stay in 
you know, they don't want to live in a hotel. They want to stay in a house, but they also can't sign a 12 month contract and they don't want to have to buy new furniture every time, you know, and then you'll get like two or three nurses that'll rent a house and basically, you know, room share or house share creates. Yeah, same thing. It's about double the income of a long term rental that the market would normally pay. I'm just surprised with how big the demand for that is. Yeah. And depending on where you're going, I know, Max, we had just sent a loan uh, there in Hawaii. Again, the numbers are outrageous. I mean, what, what was that? What was that loan? Uh, one one point two five mil on a purchase. The guy was cash flowing around one hundred sixty thousand dollars a year, something around there that you just got done. <laughs> yeah, it's tremendous. It's amazing. So short term rentals are definitely a way to offset potential cash flow and to really create that extra income. You know, right now we're even able to do like a ten year interest only loan on short term rental based on short term rental income. So at the end of the day, every property can cash flow. Uh, as long as, you know, new travel restrictions don't come into place. But, you know, it seems like that's just, you know, for the next 10 years, I would think that's going to be a growing trend and probably picking up more and more steam. Need access to more capital for your real estate projects? You're in luck. Max is the leader and managing director of Optimus Capital, a national private money firm, which provides capital to real estate investors throughout the country. They offer some of the most competitive terms and rates in the industry. Currently, they fund single family flips up to 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab costs. They also fund new construction, rentals. It doesn't matter if you have one rental or an entire portfolio of 100. They get it done. They also fund multifamily, refinances of all types. Optimus Capital has closed hundreds of millions in loans for real estate investors throughout the country. Whether you're a seasoned, experienced investor or just getting started and haven't done a deal, Optimus Capital has got you covered. Head over to OptimusCapitalCorp.com now and fill out the quick form. The professional team at Optimus Capital is standing by ready to assist you now. So, Max, I, I know you've been at this a long time. Uh, given the ongoing extension of the eviction moratoriums that have been going on with the government, uh, what do you think is going to happen You know, when this ends? What, what, what do you think is going to happen to the state of the market on, on the investment side of things? I read a statistic, something like 2 million foreclosures are backlogged and, you know, they're going to be coming to the market eventually. You know, one thing we can't really control is government policy. And that's why when people ask me a lot of times, you know, where do you see the market going? It's really unpredictable. I mean, we've already learned over the last couple of years that really anything can happen. Uh, Just in the last 12 months, 40% of the monetary supply was printed. You know, <laughs> that's huge. And what that's done is it's really put a fear into, I think, a lot of people that might be in stocks or other uh, other assets that they want to be more diversified. And what I've seen is a lot of institutions, uh, you know, some of them have been buying for the last 10 years, but more and more are looking at buying rental or properties that they're going to rent out. And these guys are flush with cash. I mean, the with with all the money that was printed, like a lot of it did end up going to some of these larger investors and larger financial institutions that are now looking at real estate as a very safe asset. And, you know, they're putting, well, a lot of these guys are financing their own property. So they're buying with cash, but they're still putting debt on it on the back end. And they're doing 50, 60% leverage. So, and they don't plan on selling anytime soon. 
I really think like even with the backlog of foreclosures, I mean, the evictions, that's kind of a different story because, you know, that'll probably just create a huge surge of renters that are looking to move because, you know, their landlords, you know, if they haven't been paying for a year, their landlords are probably not going to renegotiate terms with them. Uh, (laughs) At least I wouldn't. uh, Someone hasn't been paying. But a lot of these people are going to be out on the market. And I really think that there's going to be a little spike in rental income or rental costs for people. Uh, Compared to a lot of the other first world countries, the U.S. is still relatively low in their housing costs, you know, compared to big cities like in China and Japan and Europe even. And based on kind of analyzing that, there's still room to grow for rents. People aren't going to be living in these big three, four thousand square foot houses like they used to. You know, the the size of the average home and the amount of people living in a house is probably going to change over the next 10 years. But I really see the rental market staying strong, uh, even with the evictions. With the foreclosures, I think there's so much investor pent up demand that I think it'll get gobbled up. I mean, what will really happen? I mean, it just really depends on how those get worked out. And if there's additional government incentives or moratoriums that are put into place, I'm guessing they're going to let it trickle out rather than having a big wave come in at once in one way, shape or form. But a lot of the the notes that are not performing, I mean, those are already purchased. So, you know, there's huge buyer pools that are buying non-performing notes with the intent of doing workouts of them or with the intent of foreclosing and keeping them as rentals. So I think a lot of these foreclosures aren't ever even going to hit the market. And the ones that do, I mean, I personally know a lot of investors that made a killing from 2008 to 2014 that are flush with cash. I mean, tens of millions of dollars that have been sitting on the sidelines for the last five years waiting for this foreclosure boom. Uh, I actually had breakfast with one yesterday. I mean, he's, you know, he used to flip about 200 homes a year, you know, between 2008 and 2014. He accumulated a pretty significant rental portfolio, which is all paid off. I'm trying to convince him to get some leverage on it. And he wants to, but he says his wife doesn't let him. (laughs) (laughs) The wives tend to be the more conservative ones. Uh, But he's, you know, for the last four years, as I've been talking with him, he's like, yeah, I'm just waiting for the market to adjust so I can buy more properties. And, you know, how long is that waiting game going to last? I mean, he's finally starting to pick up again. You know, he's doing maybe 20, 30 flips a year now. You know, it, it's hard. It's hard to really say, but in my opinion, I think that there's still a huge backlog of inventory. And I mean, in Sacramento, we have less than half a month of inventory. So if there's, wow. you know, even thousands of houses listed, I mean, those will get gobbled up. Um, there's there's a town in Chico, California, which you know it's one of the fastest growing markets in California. I mean, it's a smaller smaller city. You know, there's a university there, but I talked to a builder there, and they said there's 5,000 buyers waiting for a home to hit the market. 5,000 buyers. And that's, you know, Chico population isn't even that big. It's like maybe 100,000 people. So I I think the foreclosures aren't really going to make too much of a dent. Um, They might, obviously, they'll slow down the appreciation. You know, we're not going to see 20% appreciation year over year, but you never know. I mean, if the monetary supply doubled, that just tells me that we're going to hit much higher inflation rates than uh, what any of the predictions are. Uh, I was just reading an article this morning. So the feds are basically saying they're going to keep interest rates unchanged, you know, relatively unchanged until 2023. So that gives us another year and a half to two years of, you know, low interest rates 
huge buyer demand and you know a lack of housing nationwide. Yeah, I know here in the state of Florida, and I know I know Florida is not the only place that that we're seeing it. If someone lists their house on a Friday, by Monday they've got eight offers in on it. That's the entire state and some other states as well. From you know just my conversations with investors, and probably four or five of those offers are. 20, you know, 25% above market price just to get in on that asset. And so these, these people are coming to the table with excess cash, which I mean, as I think you mentioned it earlier, there's, there's probably about a 20% appreciation in a lot of markets across the US over just a year over year. Just, just unbelievable. Yeah, the, the predictions I read, and you know, these are kind of you know AI predictions now, where they're analyzing the last hundred years of the market movement and price increases. Um, pretty much, the number, consistent number I'm seeing is an eight to ten percent increase on values, um, with a relatively low risk of any kind of downside. And I think they're taking into account the predicted foreclosures, the predicted you know rental kind of moratorium ending, and just seems like, you know, <laughs> real estate is a really good place to be right now and a relatively safe asset. Yeah. And one, one other thing I'm, I'm definitely seeing is just a, a new housing construction boom, you know, for, I think what, what I saw in the last couple of years was a huge increase in multifamily properties. And now I'm seeing kind of a shift towards just straight new home construction. I know in the state of Florida, I, I saw a number on, uh, I think it was World Population Review that Florida's population grew by 487, uh, 400, 478,000 people in the last year and a half. So that that comes out to like 1,310 people a day moving to Florida that have to have to go somewhere. So I, I know when I, I speak to you know some of my longtime relationships that are developers, they're telling me as, as soon as they list a property, they've got they've got it sold before it's even built, and they've got five backup contracts to it. Just really tremendous opportunity in that space. I know on our side, you know, we're we're doing up to eighty percent uh, loan to cost on those new construction homes. So even for your your developer, they've they've only got to come to the table with twenty percent down to to build out these communities, which is uh, just a phenomenal opportunity, especially with what you said with rates staying historically low for what looks like the next two years. It sounds like they've still got time to actually build those houses, and the the demand is just building and building and building up on top of itself. Yeah. So for new construction, there's also some really interesting data that I've been following because I was trying to figure out really like what's what's causing such a big construction boom and why is there such a huge demand of housing? So from, you know, and I'll go back to the 60s. I mean, we can go back further, but on average, there's between 40 to 50,000 new homes built per million people and a pop, they call it a population adjusted single family starts. So the actual number is more like, you know, about on average, about 20 million homes built per decade. And in the 2010s, and actually surprisingly in the 2000s, it was pretty much on average. Um, it didn't get significantly overbuilt compared to the averages from the last, you know, five, six decades. But in the two, 2010 to 2020, there was only 5.8 million homes built or start home started compared to an average of 20 million. So, you know, I really see this decade, you know, balancing that out. And I think we're going to see significant development and significant construction across the country because of that pent up demand where, I mean, in the last 10 years, there was 15 million less homes built than there typically are every single 10 years. So, wow. you know, my guess is this decade, we're going to see probably 25 to 30 million to balance that out. And the demand is there. Like you mentioned, every house is getting four, five, 10. I mean, even 
I saw a listing, called the agent, and he said they had 84 offers on the house. And stuff is selling significantly above market price. I mean, in our office is in Fair Oaks. And I'd say the average home price here a year ago was like maybe six fifty, seven hundred thousand. I was just kind of looking at comps for a property recently. The homes are selling for a hundred thousand above asking price. I know in LA, wow. you know, in San, you know, parts of the Bay Area, uh, I mean, homes are selling for two, three, four hundred thousand dollars above asking price, and it just it mesmerizes me how how much demand there really is. So I think anything built right now is going to get absorbed. Population's coming. I think immigration is picking back up. I think there's more people moving. A lot of people see the U.S. as a safer place to live for their families than a lot of other countries in the world. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it's an amazing time to be in real estate. Where where are you seeing the largest growth coming from right now in the U.S., generally speaking? Um, so I guess it depends whether you see look at it from a population growth or like a percentage adjusted. I think Idaho, I mean, Idaho has a relatively small population, but, you know, the percentage increase is pretty tremendous. So, you know, it's something like 6% population increase. Or 6%, what, what do you mean? That's, that's huge. Yeah. Well, a lot of, I know a lot of people in California are moving to Idaho, moving to Florida, uh, moving to other parts of the state, like, you know, South Carolina and North Carolina. California demand is just as strong as anywhere else. So it's actually interesting. People are moving to California also. I think it's still uh, more people moving out than moving in. But you know, families are growing. I mean, there's, you know, kids are growing up. The millennials are starting families and they're wanting to, you know, live the American dream and have a house. They're finally coming out of the bubble that they want to be renters for their whole lives and actually want to, you know, have a sense of stability and a place that they think they can raise their family and retire in eventually. Any other states that you think are kind of up and coming markets that, that real estate investors should be looking at, Max? Uh, I mean, really, any state right now is strong. Uh, it's hard <laughs> to really say which one's stronger than another. I mean, we're seeing huge demand in Texas, in Florida. Uh, Nevada is pretty strong, um, but we, we don't do a whole lot in Nevada. But you know, I know Reno and even Las Vegas are having some growth booms. Colorado is just a very, very strong market. I mean, you mentioned Denver earlier in the show and Denver is oof, it's booming. I talked to a builder in Denver. They're building, they're expecting to build about 150 homes in the next year. And he said their homes are getting offers without being listed, without going on the market. People are just driving by and trying to talk to the contractor to get in touch with the builder so that they can you know, basically get in line. Talk about a good business to be in right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and that kind of also, you know, a lot, a lot of these home starts and a lot of the homes being built, like there's, there's big, there's a big trend right now of built to rent. So even, even the homes being built, they're not necessarily ever going to hit the market. A lot of these guys are building communities that, you know, I mean, I've seen three, 400 home communities with clubhouses and kind of amenities provided where every single home in the community is going to be for rent. So they're wow. not even planning to ever sell them, you know, and these guys, you know, the, a lot of these institutions are coming in and building these communities with the intent of holding them for, as rental properties. So I've seen as much as two to 300 home communities being built in various markets where they'll build a clubhouse, they'll build, they'll build in amenities, and they're really building these with the intent of renting them out for significantly long term. A lot of the funds that raise money for these, you know, it's a lot of the Wall Street guys and, you know, kind of some of the larger institutions, you know, they're raising money for a 10 year hold. So, you know, those, those are houses that'll never be hitting the market. And I think a lot of these guys have data that 
you know, they have access to data, they have research teams, significant research teams and hundreds of people that are analyzing the statistics and looking at where the market's going and running their own predictions. And I, I feel if the big money is moving in that direction, uh, you know, the small money should follow. Uh, that, uh, there's kind of a rule of thumb is follow the money. So I, I really believe in that. And I think buying rental properties right now for kind of long-term holds is, you know, a tremendous opportunity. And we've kind of structured a a platform, I believe, that allows investors to you know, utilize a relatively small amount of money to really build up a portfolio. Uh, you guys probably heard about BRRR, which is buy, repair, rent, and refinance. You know, that's really one of the greatest strategies that I've seen successful real estate investors have. And, you know, with the leverage points that we can offer, you know, especially for realtors where, you know, they don't have to pay commission or, you know, basically that's an automatic 5% discount. They're already ahead just by not having to pay that commission where they can buy a property, you know, fix it up. So you buy it with 90% purchase. So if you buy a property for, say, probably 100,000 is hard to find. I mean, actually, I'm still seeing $100,000 homes in like Ohio and Oklahoma and stuff. Uh, but you, know, you buy a property for 100,000, you put 10,000 down, you get 100% of the rehab. And then four to six months later, you have a tenant in it. You know, the property value should be, you know, I, I'm, I've been seeing some pretty big spreads on these, you know, especially in some of the lower kind of the smaller markets, you know, and then you refinance at 75% cash out, you pull out your 10% and sometimes even more than the 10%, you know, especially if you're using Airbnb income, you could be cash flowing significantly. Um, you could be getting an interest only loan. So your, you know, your cost is low and creating cash flow through using that and getting your money back. So instead of buying one property and holding it, you could essentially you know, rather than buying one rental property, you buy property, you get it fixed up, you refinance it, and then you recycle that money and you go buy another one. If you scale that and say you're doing three or four at a time instead of one, you know, now you can really grow your portfolio by, you know, say five properties, six properties a year. You know, that allows you over the next couple of years to accumulate a nice little nest egg, rent them out and have that cash flow coming in, uh, you know, to kind of create the residual passive income that every real estate investor dreams of. I love it. I love it. That's that's the name of the game. Cash is king. Cool. So, Andrew, any uh, kind of final thoughts? Anything you think we didn't cover today? No. Uh, you know, as, as always, it's the old adage, you got to be in it to win it, right? So, wherever you are in your path right now, whether you're a new investor, you're an experienced investor, the opportunity right now is just booming. And it's just about finding your niche and finding your market but there's never been better programs, never been better rates, even on the private money side of things. So we're, we're here for you. Come in, find your deal, and we're going to give you the capital. You know, And if, if you don't qualify, find a partner who does, and we're going to give you the capital so you can go out and you know, take the leap and elevate your future. Oh, absolutely. Actually, you, know, you touched a very, very strong point. I'm a firm believer in partnerships in real estate because you know everyone has different skills that they bring to the table. And the best partnerships I've seen have been between like, say, a realtor and a contractor, for example, where the realtor sources the deals, the contractor does the rehabs. And personally, like every deal that I've done, I've always brought on a contractor as a partner because then, you know, you're getting stuff done at cost. Their interest that, you know, they, they have financial interest in making sure everyone succeeds. You know, how you split up the down payment is relative, but it really allows you to have multiple people or multiple eyes that have financial interest in the transaction or in the deal to make sure that, you know, the project succeeds and that, you know, there's a good exit strategy in place for it. Absolutely. Well, again, Max, thank you for having me on and uh, great idea with the podcast. Looking forward to the next episodes and kind of building out this platform. 
Thanks for having oh, me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for joining us today. We're going to have some great content in the near future as well. So stay tuned and enjoy the Grow Your Wealth Show. Thanks for tuning in to Grow Your Wealth Podcast, brought to you by Optimus Capital. If you liked this episode, be sure and follow and subscribe. You can listen to every episode on all major platforms. Have an interest in being on the show? Reach out to OptimusCapitalCorp.com slash show to access the resources mentioned in each episode. Until next time, remember to use real estate to build generational wealth.